LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for his glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, and welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast for established church leaders by established church leaders. My name is Josh King, recording from Central Arkansas, and uh, typically on the show, as you know, my good friends Micah and Sam are with me, but they are uh, indisposed. Is that a good word? Uh, do you like you like yeah. that word? Yeah. Uh, I think that's the word you use if somebody knocks on the door and they want to talk to your mom and she doesn't want to talk to you. She says, say I'm indisposed. So that means she's on the potty. And um, instead of Mike and Sam, I've got some newer friends. Uh, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So um, just go ahead and start with you, Will. Will, tell us who you are, uh, what church you're at, and a little bit about your church. My name is Will Overstreet. I'm the pastor at Pleasant Grove Baptist Church here in Conway, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. My wife and I moved here last August, so we've been here a little over six months. And uh, our church is a smaller church. We average around 80 in our worship services and and are trying to move forward. Cool. Yeah. And how long have you been there? You said about six months. Six months. A little over six months. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, so we also have Chris. Chris, what's yeah. going on? I'm Chris Satterwine. I'm the pastor at First Baptist Church Mayflower. Uh, my wife and I went there in October last year, so just been there about five months. Uh, we run about 150, 160 folks on a Sunday. Uh, it's a second pastor, but uh, really, really enjoying it. Great folks, great community, and excited about what God's doing and going to do in the future. So you were at a ch- another church locally with an awesome name. I was. Oh. Uh, Bigelow Baptist Church. Bigelow Baptist Church. B-I-G-E-L-O-W. Bigelow, Arkansas. (laughs) So as uh, everybody knows, I moved here from Texas, and so some of these words in Arkansas are quite funny to me. They're strange, no doubt about it. So we're all Conway guys. We're all Central Arkansas guys, and we have a big festival here called Toad Suck Festival. It's a real thing. Look it up. We have shirts. I have a shirt. Do you have shirts? I don't. Not yet. What? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We all have shirts. Our whole family has shirts. Um, When we were interviewing, we came up. They gave us shirts. And then... Uh, some of the boys, we went back down to Texas and some, the, one of the boys wanted to wear it to school and Jackie's like, no, no. Uh, you just, it's hard to explain why you can't wear that outside of Arkansas or Conway. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just something. Great so, conversation starter. Yeah. Yeah. Why we're moving, um, to toad suck Arkansas. <laughs> so what we thought we would do today is have a show, what I'm calling big church, little church, team church, the whole concept around, uh, how can churches of any size kind of work together and what can they work together on so uh will you said about 80 ish is the average attendance you're 160 ish we're right at 1050 and so those are three different churches in the same essentially the same community and uh, we get along great um and a lot of this is going to be theory which i think is good uh we don't have any like wounds or baggage to bring into this conversation we're just talking theory because all three of us are kind of new to our churches. So first of all, what is your feelings on just, do you ever feel pressure to kind of like work with the other churches, even if it's like to a detriment of your schedule? 
No, I never really felt the pressure there. I think one of the things that got instilled in me early on was a, a big view of the kingdom that we really want to work together. Um, and I've tried to learn from churches different sizes, but also some of the things that, that I've learned, I've wanted to be able to pass on to other people. So I don't really see the competition that sometimes is there. I don't think has ever really been present in, in my perspective, my view, uh, but really wanting to see every church succeed because um, there's people, there's too many lost people to, to be worried about yeah. uh, fighting over how, how we do things, who does it better. So, right. What about you, Will? Do you ever feel like, I don't have time to pastor my church, let alone go to this other cooperative event. Do you ever feel that? I would say more in previous churches where I've served. This is the first area where there has been other churches wanting to serve together. Oh, really? And um, last few places I served, there was a competition uh, status where we can't compete. I mean, we can't serve because we're trying to compete with other churches and it drove Mm -hmm. me crazy and so here one of the first things i encouraged our church to do was to celebrate what god's doing in other churches and to really celebrate the kingdom aspect of that and and so but there have been times where honestly i felt like i didn't want to Mm -hmm. just because of i was so focused in what we were doing or so maybe even burdened about what's our next step going to be that I didn't really feel like I could offer much to other churches, so to speak. Right. I get uh, that. Yeah. Have you guys ever been a part of an event or, um, effort or what do you call it? Like a campaign that a collective of other churches are a part of and you just really benefited from that. Did you like the, we, we saw some crossover events where we were trying to do like, especially a men's ministry event with three or four churches combined. And I think that was really helpful because, uh, mm-hmm. again, kind of in the media or smaller churches, sometimes the men's ministry is like six or eight guys who show up consistently. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's helpful all of a sudden maybe when you can see that partnership and uh, maybe it's 50 or 60 guys that are together because you got five or six churches that are each bringing their 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as a student minister for years, same kind of deal where we're doing – Man, it's hard to do a D now when you only got 15 students, but mm-hmm. all of a sudden you put together five or six churches that can throw together a D now with a hundred students, man, that's, that's incredible. And it's exciting to see the students excited about it or the men's ministry events excited about it, working together. Uh, so I've seen some of that be successful for yeah. sure. How about you? Uh, at our last church, we were in a small community. It's about 1200 people. So about the size of second church. <laughs> and, uh, we, being in the Mississippi Delta, tried to do a lot of community worship services. And so it wasn't so much an event as far as pushing some agenda other than let's just come together and worship together. Mm -hmm. And so through that, some relationships were built, some walls were torn down, and God was able to do not only through a collection of churches, but also through some individual churches, some stuff that he may not would have been able to do because we weren't opening up ourselves to Mm -hmm. other churches. And Mm -hmm. so through the more of a reconciliation togetherness, uh, we saw God do some great things through that. I think anybody that's listened to the show for a while knows about a couple of events that I've done in the past One of them was just like a a community Christmas Eve service. Mm -hmm. And the real reason that that came to mind was a lot of my church planting friends were in facilities that were not available to them during Christmas Eve. So um, 
we kind of just went together and that, that was cool. We divided it up, set a little schedule there. And, um, that was good. And that was when I was at the other church, which ran, you know, 400, 500. So it wasn't massive, but it wasn't small either. The other thing that I really enjoyed doing down there was, uh, the yearly fall festival. Mm -hmm. And we kind of just got everybody together and said, what can you contribute to this? What can you contribute to that? And then we all did it, but it was the it was the Chambers Fall Festival. So we were all showing up and handing out one bag um, with invites to all the churches and goodies and and had all these bounce houses. And maybe this church was manning that bounce house for these two hours. And, and we just kind of worked on that together. But collectively, we were able to make a bigger impact. Yeah. And people make choices about going to churches for a billion different reasons. And so if I can put, um, let's say somebody's living down in Mayflower and you and I work together on this on some events. Uh, they may go to your church just because it's closer. Mm -hmm. If I don't work with you, they're not going to come to my church because we're further away. So um, I think that there's some benefit to that. Absolutely. Yeah. And what about like, so if you get off of the event thing, any training, have y'all ever done like collective training? I know like we're all Baptist. We're all Southern Baptist. Not all of our listeners are Southern Baptist. So man, training is what Southern Baptist entities do. Uh, If they're not, given a book for free, they're selling a training course or something like that. Um, have y'all benefited from that? Have y'all seen it outside of maybe the associational networking or? For me, it's been all associational mm-hmm. here in Conway and other churches as well. But, and a lot of it has to do with the community having places to host multiple churches or other churches willing to open up and uh, host those different events. But it's been beneficial to me because I've not been able to do any of that on my own through our church, but partnering up with local associations or other churches has helped us go through some training, offer training, mm-hmm. and even follow up through it, which has been beneficial. Yeah, I'd say most of what we've seen has been through the state convention or the association, but I have seen more, it seems recently, especially churches that are uh, one of the big areas right now, church security, uh, seeing what's taking place just you know, in the, uh, the, the last few years with uh, situations at churches and, and church shootings, uh, you know, a current issue with our convention, of course, what's what we've seen, uh, how, how can churches have really good policies? And so I've seen some churches that have advertised, whether it's in children's ministry, youth ministry, safety and security policies, or just general church security evaluation, and, and not so much from an association or, or state convention entity, but just an individual church saying, hey, here's what we're doing. Uh, we'd love to uh, just have you have, host you guys and, and share some insights that we found um, and then network together to, to mm-hmm. kind of do what we do well, but also help you guys maybe do what you're doing a little bit better. What do you think the best way, if a church has the resources to provide training in a different, what, what are things that they should think through in considering inviting other churches in, how that might help or hinder what are some things that maybe y'all have seen before and you're like i would totally do that but this factor was involved do you have any like keys on that or thoughts well i know my, in my experience in the past moment with that mid and smaller size church sometimes you've got uh, the issue of the timing when you're going to offer it um so you know in the area where we're at a lot of churches do have a full-time staff member so sometimes you see a lot of stuff like at a lunch meeting but the mm-hmm. reality is there are too many churches that you're talking about bivocational guys who are, who are warriors working, you know, full-time jobs and then trying to, to pastor, you know, in, in their spare time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
trying to offer a training at uh, 11 o'clock Thursday lunch may or may not be a good thing for them based on where they're at. And so sometimes I think that uh, evening, uh, weekends, timing makes a big difference on, on how many churches that could possibly benefit from it could be involved or not. Yeah. I think, too, having, if you have the access to some video stuff to where if you can't make it, we want to send you information, too, because, again, smaller churches, the scheduling, the people, not everybody can make it during the day. Not everybody can make it at night or even on the weekends. But I think being better at making it available mm-hmm. because people want it. I know our people want it, but they're just unable to go when it's offered a lot of the times. But they can, during their time, sit and watch something online or have access to some materials or a podcast to listen to while they're driving to work. And, and so I think if we can have different avenues of getting that information out instead of a, you come to us when we set this time yeah. mindset. Yeah, I can see that. I, I've challenged our staff here to, we're going to do training all the time anyways. Uh, we, we've got to train our deacons. We've got to train our children's workers. We've got to train those sort of things, just like you guys do. Everybody does that. But one of the big shifts that I've tried to instill in our staff is everything you do, invite all the other churches. They may not be able to come, but Put it out online. Any churches, you know, and to make the the pricing of it at such a place. I've seen these kind of things where like, hey, security training and it's like five hundred dollars. Right. Uh, and it's for some churches, man, that's the entire student ministry budget. Yeah. And you just you just wipe the thing out. And so just go ahead. If you're a larger church or a larger organization, just swallow the cost of that. And then, you know, like. You know, it, it would be really great if all of our churches were secure. Sure. All of our churches were not, you know, making environments where offenders can um, do what they want to do. So um, I, I think that that's a, a good investment. I yeah. think making it too where it's somewhat enjoyable. Uh-huh. You know, I've been to several training events where I was just absolutely miserable mm-hmm. just because it was either it was way too long mm-hmm. or they didn't have enough breaks or they didn't, you know, the speakers weren't very either prepared or, uh, you know, it's just various reasons. And, and so if people are going to give up their time to come and be a part of the training, we want to make it worth their time to be there. The other, the other thing we're doing, we're, we're thinking through this is we're, we're going to require two trainings um, they're kind of more review trainings, safety trainings for children's and youth workers per year. Um, so we're going to sort of require those or we're going to offer them require one. That was sort of the philosophy. But one of the conversations we were having was, why don't we get a hold of all the other churches in, in town? Many of them are requiring the same thing or working at offering the same thing. So if you had three, four, five like-minded churches and you said, hey, uh, we'll do spring of this year, you do fall. You do spring the next year and you start planning that stuff out, then you can sit there and tell your whole people at the large church or at small church, hey, the um, training is at Pleasant Grove this mm-hmm. this fall. We're all going over there. Register by this time. We've already paid your way. You know, those sort of things. Um, just trying to divide out the load yeah. on things that we are redundantly doing. Yeah. All of us are doing the exact same thing. And the funny thing is, most of us are doing the exact same program right. at different times in different yeah. ways. And so if we just started letting other churches know, we'll we'll train them. We already yeah. paid the guy to come. So. Well, and it helps our people in our church know that we're not the only ones doing this. Right. The training. That, mm-hmm. it's, that it's that important because all these other churches 
see the value in it and it helps them maybe be a little more voted, motivated to mm-hmm. attend or uh, pay attention while they're there or whatever yeah. the case may be. And I'll say too, I think sometimes the, the culture in the smaller church is a little harder. They don't always see the need for some of those things, perhaps because, and just tradition has always kind of said, it's just what we've yeah. always done. And so sometimes seeing a bigger church willing to in, invest in uh, training, not just their own people, but that, that openness may uh, spawn some people just to kind of think through, hey, uh, this could be something that could be beneficial and, and maybe help a church break out of some of the traditional molds of what just what we've always yeah. done, embracing some new concepts, ideas. And, and uh, again, that, that can be very uh, big, big K kingdom focused and yeah. moving towards uh, the kingdom of God and not just individual churches. Well, in our churches of similar size, most of our people have been serving for a long time anyway. And they've probably done it without having the proper training that they needed. And so it may be difficult for them to understand why it's important because they've always been doing it, but having more churches involved in it helps them kind of see the big picture behind it. Yeah, so we've talked about uh, events, training. I want to get y'all's take here in just a minute on um, you know, kind of like pastor to pastor connections and some of the working through some of the harder things that happen, like transferring membership, uh, church discipline, those sort of things. But before I do, I want to tell our listeners about Robbie Gallaty's new book here and now thriving in the kingdom of heaven today. Robbie is one of our Lifeway Leadership podcast network host. That is a long word uh, phrase to say. He, uh, he hosts Making Disciples Pastor in the Nashville area, has a great book out. I've got a copy of it, and um, so have all of our co-hosts. Um, I'm even going to give these guys a copy of it as well. So I um, want you to go check that out. Look it up on Amazon and find out um, how you can get Robbie Gallaty's new book, Here and Now, Thriving in the Kingdom of Heaven Today. So back on our topic, we are talking about how larger and small and mid churches, and let me just say this, like, have y'all ever tried to define what a small church is? It depends on where you are, I think. Yeah, have you heard the whole fight about like what you call it? And I love to call it small. Yeah. There's there's a word. Um, I, I mean, I just really think that like uh, all of that has an angst that really doesn't. It stems from like this trying to justify. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're not small. We're 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 other words. Um, and you know, don't just own it. Yeah. I mean, just own it, and uh, and that's fine. There's a lot of. There's a lot of benefits um, to being in a smaller congregation. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like huge. And there's nothing embarrassing or wrong or it says nothing to the validity of the pastor. Mm-hmm. It says nothing to the validity of the ministry there. We do have, um, so my son, we're, you know, we're from North Texas. My son and I were driving past uh, Prestonwood Baptist Church, one of the largest Southern Baptist churches in the world. And... Um, my son says, uh, hey, that's that's Dr. Jack Graham's church. And he's, I don't know, he's maybe seven or eight at the time. And he says, that's Dr. Jack Graham's church. And I said, yeah, yeah I mean, that's the church he pastors. And he goes, why don't you pastor a church um, that big? <laughs> and I said, um, I said, I don't know, son. I mean, it, just different reasons. And he says, if you were as good of a pastor as Jack Graham, you would pastor a church that big. And, <laughs> and I said, Thanks, son. son, that's not how this works, uh, but... A lot of people, I think, feel, feel that. that. Sure. Maybe they're wired that way. Maybe we tell ourselves that. You know, I'm not as good of a pastor, or if I had those resources, I could do these things. But there's just absolutely nothing wrong. Right. Nor is there anything 
uh, wired in good about being at a large church. It's, you know, it's, you heard the phrase that all that glitters isn't gold. And I am here to testify that that is absolutely true. I I think that that is absolutely true. So uh, let's talk a little bit about pastor to pastor working together. Like, what do you need from another pastor, if anything? I think early on, one of the things I, I, I wasn't knowledgeable of, but just how beneficial some of those uh, relationships can be to help uh, teach me things that I, I don't even know that I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you, you kind of get uh, consumed in your in your world, in the ministry where you're at, and sometimes just the networking and the relationships and the friendships that can develop uh, with other pastors in different contexts and different communities uh, that can provide just, uh, just opportunities for personal growth, whether that's in our own personal walk with the Lord or in our particular area of ministry. And so I have found, uh, you know, guys that just uh, wanted to want to continue to challenge me and, and ask me questions and, and even, you know, the, the reason why are we doing some things that we're doing? Because even as a pastor or, or a youth pastor, we can settle into just doing what we've always known as, as opposed to sometimes maybe really thinking through why we're doing what we're doing or why we're not doing something else. And so uh, those relationships can be great places that, that spawn thinking, uh, challenges, accountability. And, and I mean, sometimes it's just lonely being a pastor and mm-hmm. those other guys that we can count on there in the same stage of life yeah. that we are. I think for me, that's the biggest is yeah. having somebody else that understands what you're going through in the ministry, regardless of the size of the church or the denomination or anything like that ministry is hard and mm-hmm. knowing that there's people that you can call on to say, Hey, this is what we're going through as a church. This is what I'm going through. And I helped participate in an ordination service last weekend. And for a young guy going into the ministry and just told him, I said, majority of the people in this room with you have no idea what you go through on a daily basis right. in the ministry. And so I think just having other pastors of, various backgrounds, ages, churches to to know that they understand and are there to walk through you with it and um, walk with you through it, not mm-hmm. through you with it. That's Sometimes it feels like people are walking through. That's, uh, that's on Monday. That's yeah. on Monday. <laughs> are you open? Are you guys comfortable enough with somebody just kind of like in a playful way? I think you just have to make the decision and say, if one of you guys would, were to make fun of something I'm doing, Uh, something the church is doing, something, you know, our Instagram, stuff like that. You got to just come to it and say, hey, I don't care. It's fine. Um, But maybe you do have a point. Maybe it does look that way. Maybe, you know, those sort of things. Um, One of our staff ministers and I were joking about the the preacher pose, uh, the, the profile pictures where you've got like the blacked out wall behind you mm-hmm. and you've got a Bible in one hand or you're making this point. And, uh, he was, he just recently changed his profile to one of those. And, uh, and some of his local minister friends were kind of like messing with him and you know, ragging him a little bit. And he's like, look, I knew when I did that for six hours, I'm going to get it. <laughs> and then he's like, whatever. And I said, yeah, but here's the cool thing. Man, our preacher poses at this church are awesome. We have different camera angles. And so like, so who cares? You know, and like, we just kind of like, yeah, yeah. I get why you're making fun of that. But oh well, you know, are are y'all comfortable with that? Has that ever happened to you? I'm very comfortable with it. One, it helps me stay humble, I think. Uh, For me, it's not so much even ministry friends. But if you say something wrong in your sermon, 
Are you a word comes out funny? You know, I can I guarantee you, my wife has picked up on it, mm. and she's gonna rag me about okay. it after church. But you stuff like that, it. you yeah. just own it, roll with it. Right? Yeah, life life happens, and and I think you know we 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 want to take certain things serious, obviously, but other times, man, especially when it comes to yourself, man, we, we ought to be able to laugh at ourselves and the things mm-hmm. that we do, and and sometimes looking back at something and being able to say, man, that was just pretty dorky or, mm-hmm. or silly, and and uh, just knowing, hey. It's life. We're going to have those. And then other times it's going to be great. So so one of the things that's facing our particular uh, faith family, our extended family uh, as Baptists and Southern Baptists, one of the issues that seems to be arising is that we don't talk to one another about the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we uh, we talk about each other about some bad things, but we don't call the other person up and say, hey, uh, that dude you just hired, um, that's maybe not. And I don't I honestly don't know the exact way that you do that Mm -hmm. do you guys have any thoughts on how or maybe some attitudes we could adopt uh to help with that situation i think one of the things you know just to get in light of of recent circumstances is is we have to be willing to uh, be be brutally honest with with situations i've known some guys that i felt like probably uh, continued to find positions at churches that uh, if the church was honest or, uh, you know, somebody along a, a, a neighboring church that could have said, this guy is killing churches. Mm. Uh, he, he should not be, uh, you know, a pastor or a church leader anymore. But uh, I guess for whatever reason, we just want to maybe not get involved, call a spade a spade. We mm-hmm. want to just, uh, well, that's that, that's between them and the Lord or something. But man, that, I think that's so damaging to the kingdom. Mm. And I think that we, we ought to do uh, at times be, need to be brutally honest about um if a character has revealed themselves time and time again, uh, I understand grace, but there's got to be a time where we, we want to speak the truth and love for the, the sake of that person, the mm-hmm. family, uh, the witness of, of our Lord, the witness of the, of the church. Well, thank you, me, for sure. You struggle with the idea of maybe you, we've been relieved of that issue or that problem ourselves, yeah. And so maybe we're caught up in that and we don't pass that on to other people. Mm-hmm. But if we say that we love the church, not just our own church, and if we want other churches to help us further the kingdom, then we've got to reach out. And I don't know what the proper context or protocol would be, but maybe just making a phone call to the pastor mm-hmm. and saying, hey, this just wanted to make sure that you were aware of this. You yeah. may have been... And have a plan in place, but you may not. And this is what we know and what happened with us. And right. Because we we love you. We yeah. love your church and we love what you're doing. And we want to make sure that that continues. Yeah. Man, I think that one of the things is just if you get the call. Yeah. I think that's the attitude that really has to change in most churches is if you get the call on two fronts. One of them, I think it's huge. A lot of people will not call the uh, boss of the person you're interviewing because, well, what if he gets in trouble, he gets his desk cleaned out, and man, like, I just gotta say, if you're listening to the show, and you're the kind of dude that will fire a guy because somebody's looking at him, you're a horrible person, yeah, and yeah, you need that. to quit it. And so, that that's just insecure, it's not kingdom focused. If somebody, if there are churches looking at your staff folks, if your staff folks are looking to improve their financial setting or get closer to family or just they just don't feel like it's a good fit then support that quit being so sensitive about it so i'm just of the persuasion like if anybody right now um is looking over at our staff and they're like man i love i like that i like what he's doing i'd like to get him on my team man go for it 
Um, call them up, ask them, talk to them, that sort of stuff. I'm going to celebrate with it. They're going to tell me yeah. because I know that. And you can call me. I'll also give you a um, great endorsement yeah. on all of my current staff. Yeah. Um, they're fantastic. But So that's one thing. We've got to stop doing that mm-hmm. as pastors. The other thing is, I don't know, man. I just think that there's a fear. If I call you and tell you the truth, or even if you do end up calling me and I tell you the truth, I'm afraid of a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes what's missed in some of the scandal is that most of these leaders were not trying to do something devious. Mm -hmm. They weren't trying to hide evil. They were trying to protect a church. And man, if you're not a pastor, you don't understand the intense fear that comes all the time of, I'm trying to protect people, innocent yeah, people yeah. who who really don't know about these things. So I don't know. Do you think that there would be some sort of like expectation of and how do you say anonymous being anonymous, anonymous. anonymity and anonymity anonymity? Do you think like so if I call you up, Will, and I say, hey, um, I think this person is attending your church. Mm-hmm. Not sure. Yeah. Um, you know, can I count on you to be like, yeah, I'm going to handle that without throwing you under the bus. And because that person who's a problem to me, that's no longer at my place. They still have friends here, you know? And so that's a fear I have, you know? So how do you handle that? What do you think other people should do? I think you should make the phone call Mm -hmm. uh, first and foremost. And if the pastor... With like a voice changer, correct? Yes. <laughs> From a payphone, burner phone. But make that call and hope that the pastor of that church is a good pastor mm-hmm. who not only cares about his own uh, his own motives behind it, but also the relationship that he's built with other pastors and mm-hmm. other churches, and that we're we're in this together. That we need to protect each other as well. But reach out and in a loving way and just let them know what's going on. and But also let them know, too, that God can still work through situations that that we're placed in and hoping that he has the wisdom to follow through with that in a way that doesn't bring more damage to not only their church, but the former church and other relationships. Yeah, I think the, uh, the minister of reconciliation that we have would lead us and spur us to, to try to do the right thing, even if it's difficult to mm-hmm. see um, wayward church members or perhaps even lost church members, mm-hmm. as we know happens, uh, be reconciled in the right way. And, and I think we want to do the right thing and not just uh, be, I'm sure glad that problem person's out of our church, yeah. but to have a right kind of conversation to see uh, the gospel restored in their life uh, for the for the kingdom of God. Yeah, and obviously, you know, sometimes my problem church member is it's a personality thing. Sure, they just don't like me, yeah. and that's okay. And they might like you and be awesome over at your place. And so, you just want to be clear and upfront yep. about that thing. Sometimes it's just saying, "Look, uh, don't try to change the carpet with that." Guy. Yeah, and just yeah. letting you know. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a problem. Yeah. Um, so, man, that's all the time we have for today. Do you guys have? I know you're online. What if some listeners want to connect with you, Will? How, how do they do that? Uh, they can connect with me through Twitter and Instagram. Uh, also, our church website is, uh, I just went blank on what it is. But well, you tell us Google. your Twitter first. Yeah. <laughs> My Twitter is Will Overstreet. There you go. And uh, Instagram is Overstreet W. So and, and from there, you can find From there, you can find me. It's a cool new logo. Yeah, yeah exactly. What about you? Yeah, I'm uh, just on Facebook, uh, Chris Satterwood, and uh, our church is uh, fbcmayflower.com. Sweet. 
And y'all know me. I'm at Joe Wiki. Uh, before I let you go, I want to ask you, have you listened to Group Answers podcast yet? The one co-hosted by Chris Surratt and Brian Daniel. They're part of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network family. You can tell we're kind of biased towards that whole thing. And they've recently talked about dealing with difficult people. Hey, we just we just yeah, talked about that. Deal. They uh, ranked discipleship books. That sounds a bit like a preseason ranking to me. I don't know how you do that. And they interviewed uh, Trillia Newbell, which is, she's fantastic. Just look them up at Group Answers or your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today. Make sure you're subscribed to us. Rate, review us on iTunes. We appreciate you. And we will talk with you next week. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. EST is proud to be a part of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network.